We talk about heaven today, I think it's an appropriate subject. <laughs> We've got to that wonderful portion in Revelation. Been through some pretty troublesome times in Revelation, haven't we? In Revelation here, we have this portion of scripture that has sustained saints for centuries. Just the knowledge that there is a place that we're going to, that we can look forward to, that is a great blessing, is something that keeps us going as Christians, doesn't it? Doesn't it? <laughs> you know, this world is not all there is, and the pleasures and joys of it are few, and they fast fade away. Anything new wears out, grows old. We've got a portion here that talks the opposite to that, about the future, about heaven. We should be like Abraham, who in <coughs> the book of Hebrews, if you'd like to turn there, and chapter 11, verses 8 and 9, did what we should do. We should do this. By faith, in verse 8 of 11, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance obeyed and went out not knowing where he went he left a good homely place he left a place with conveniences but in verse 9 it reads by faith he sojourned in a land of promise as a stranger or sorry <laughs> in a strange country dwelling in tabernacle with Isaac and Jacob heirs with him of the same promise for he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. All the way through life, from that time when he was called out of the air of the Chaldeans to, that celest to the celestial city, but going through the promised land, he was a stranger, he was a pilgrim, but he looked for a city. What we have today is that city in this portion, introduced. We can look at it another time maybe in the next sermon, the details of the city. But looking for that city, are we doing what Abraham did in the future, looking for that wonderful, great city? Um, this portion of Scripture gives us a small glimpse into the eternal state. It just whets our appetite. We might say it's an appetizer for better things to come. Listen to what Paul did when he was on earth in Colossians chapter 3. He, he said, seek those things that are above. And he said in the next verse, set your affection on things above. You know, forget the world, look into the future. Um, <clears throat> Matthew told us to do likewise. He said Matthew, in Matthew 6, 19, lay up treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust does corrupt and where thieves do not break through and steal. Let's get it right in our Christian life. Let's set our affections on things above. Some people say, well, you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. <laughs> I don't know that you can be that way. I don't know that you can be. I think, you know, to have a focus on heaven is to get things in perspective down here on earth and to see how temporal and fading and rusting they are. And so before we go, as we usually do, we'll have prayer at this time before we go into the main part of the service. Heavenly Father, 
Thank you for these wonderful promises that sustain us in hours of need, in trials and tribulations. Lord, we, we have been left with some wonderful things, some tantalising things, some things that get our spiritual taste buds uh, going. And Lord, we, we look forward to the, the, the future with anticipation, with expectation. And Lord, we do bring before you Brother Brunken this morning as he is, yes, in a hard trial, a difficult time that one day we all may be at. Lord, strengthen his faith, encourage him. Lord, we know where Sister Tridel will be going and I pray that all of us know that we're going, we're going the same place. Well, Lord, we thank you for a testimony for her their faithfulness, their commitment to the church for almost 40 years, Lord. Lord, I pray that they might be an example to us and a challenge to us as well. Lord, we, we know that our loss will be heaven's gain. and Lord, we, we do pray that we would all be strengthened and encouraged, that we can think as our sister has thought of things to come. And as we do in the morning service, may it be a blessing to each one. Lord, that the young people would not miss the importance of keeping their focus right through life. Because the temptation is to look at the things that are temporal, to be so engrossed and overcome by them that they forget about heaven, that's for eternity. And Lord, may we all, older ones too, Get that right focus and set our affections on things above as we discuss this this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Follow along there in the outline in the bulletin. And if you do, you find the first point is there a new creation in verse 1. <laughs> Revelation 21 and verse 1. And I saw a new heaven, new earth, for the first heaven, the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. Some of us like the sea, don't we? <laughs> There'll be a sea of glass if you do. If you miss the sea, this sea, the sea that's down here, a sea of water, and that is promised in the other, other scriptures. But there's some new things, and a new, recently made, fresh, unused, worn. How often do you have to clean the house? Well, how often do you clean that? Maybe I shouldn't ask that one. How often should you clean the house? <laughs> Often. How often do you have to do a bit of fix it, fixing it up, you know? Deteriorates and it gets worn and, and things happen. Things break down regularly. Regularly that is to be done. What about heaven? <laughs> do you have to dust the shelves? And Is there any dust in heaven? Do you think that, those sort of things? I don't think so. It's a perfect place. Things don't wear out. Things go on for all eternity. You know, even the, and the earth and the heavens will fade away, but not this place. It's for eternity. It's new and stays new. Wouldn't it be great if we got things down here that we got and remained looking new? This is uncommon to us. This is unheard down here in this world. New heaven and a new earth. Now there's two 
prospects at looking at this verse. And um, <clears throat> I wrote down different ones that have different views on what this means. Some mean, some believe it's renovated and renewed. McLean, and he's a pretty heavy author. <laughs> um, John E. Cobb, and my uncle Wallace, well, great uncle Wallace. And others view this in verse 1 as being removed and replaced, like Volverd and Pentecost and Hitchcock and Levy. He's a Jew. <laughs> you can't miss that one, Levy, <laughs> Levi. But um, <clears throat> the view that this is renovated, let me just read this. The earth will survive the final holocaust. It will be purged with fire, like the old man in the fable. Made young in the flames, it will emerge transfigured and glorious, prepared to play a new role in the ages to come. The expression pass away in Revelation 21 verse 1 is a translation of the word which means to go along, to pass along, to go through. Dr. Cease says it's a verb of wide general meaning, to pass as a ship, to pass from one state into another state, an act of transition, and that the word is never used of annihilation in Scripture, which is a pretty strong view. <laughs> but then the other people <laughs> argue with many verses, and I think some of the verses could be taken either way. Um, <clears throat> and they say, well, it's possible God could renovate and restore. You see, God created it all. Uh, whichever way it happens, it's going to be new. <laughs> and they say... God could renovate and restore the earth. There are several passages that support the complex, oh, sorry, the complete destruction of the present earth and their removal and replacement. And they use scriptures such as Psalm 102, verse 25 and 26. Of old you founded the earth, the heavens are the works of your hands. Even they will perish, you, but you endure and all of them will wear out like a garment, like clothing, you will change them and they will be changed. So even in that, there is a hint of the changing <laughs> and also of the annihilation I'm getting rid of. Both aspects are in that verse. Isaiah 34.4 reads, All the hosts of heaven will wear away and the sky will be rolled up like a scroll. All their hosts will wither as a leaf withers uh, from the vine. That uh, talks about the leaf withering, and it sounds like complete annihilation. Isaiah 51, 6 talks about it. Matthew 24, verse 35 reads, Heaven and earth will pass away. So there are strong arguments and many verses that support the idea that it will be completely gone. And in this verse, it talks about the fleeing away of the heaven and earth. So I won't divide fellowship with ever which view you hold, whether renovated or whether complete new. Complete new sounds good, doesn't it? As you go to all the verses that are mentioned there, in Revelation 21, 1 that we're looking at this morning, Revelation 20, verse 11, where it says, we've looked at that last time, that heaven and earth will flee away from the presence of the Lord, and it will be a new heaven and a new earth. And so we have that mentioned in verse 1. A new creation, something's new. Now we're used to the old one down here. <laughs> we are used of a spoiled creation. What spoiled the creation that we presently have? Sin. 
Who's spoiled? <laughs> well, let's, let's name some individuals. You'll let a name people here this morning because they're not with us. <laughs> they're long gone. <laughs> Adam and Eve. <laughs> but, but if we were there, we would have done what they did. So Adam and Eve sinned, brought in the curse upon the world. The evolutionists today, what do they do? They worship the earth. Really, that's what they're doing. They talk about how wonderful it is, and it is. But it is in a fallen state. It's not as God created it. Sin has affected everything. Anywhere you go and everything, and it, it has been affected by sin. And people have been affected by sin, dramatically changed from what God intended originally. And so... <clears throat> The, dis the destruction. And does the Bible talk about the destruction, the, the, the terrible state in which the, the world, the physical world, finds itself? Yes, the Bible does speak about that. And it's in Romans chapter 8. And we've read them often. And it's in verse 19, where we read the earnest expectation of the creature, that's the creation, waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. When we become immortal it's waiting for that day looking for that for the creature was made subject to vanity not willing but by reason of him who was subjected the same in hope because the creature itself shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of god as we will be liberated from the sin and this old mortal body so will creation it is groaning, for we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth. When you're out in the bush at night time and the wind's blowing, that's trees rubbing on each other, limbs rubbing on each other, your arm's going to fall down on you. But that's not the groaning it's talking about. And it's said, and I haven't, and I've only read it recently, that if you listen to a tree, I'll have to get Peter's. Uh, but that thing you hang around Jesus? It's stethoscope. And listen to the tree. If you listen hard enough, you can hear it pumping the water up. Because it pumps, you know, hundreds of litres a day up into its leaves. It, um, <clears throat> it's working hard all that time. That's a long way up to get that water. You don't see it, but it's happening. But the groaning that's talked about here is you watch, and usually when they're showing it on a documentary where a lion's about to jump on a gazelle or something and they stop the picture. Oh, I was looking forward to that, the boys have said. <laughs> but that's the groaning, isn't it? What do, what do the evolutionists say? Red in tooth and claw. And then they, they make the assumption, well, if that's what God created, I want nothing to do with God. <laughs> no, God didn't make it like that. They didn't eat each other back then. They didn't bite each other. They didn't bite us either. But <clears throat> one day it'll be brought back to that. The groaning will be over. So we're used to the old creation. The new one's coming in which it will be glory and no groaning anymore. Now, the old devil had a part in this, didn't he? <laughs> he spoiled creation through the temptation of Adam and Eve and man also in our sin has a part in this, the fall of creation in Genesis 3. Isaiah 14 verse 12 says, How art thou fallen down to the ground? Who didst weaken the nations? Talking about the devil when he fell. 
verse 16 and 17. They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee. You know, when you narrowly look upon a person, it's you, you, you want you want to get get to them. And it reads, it continues to read, narrowly look upon thee and consider thee, saying, "Is this the man?" It's talking about the about Satan that made the earth to tremble, who did shake kingdoms, who made the world like a wilderness and destroyed folks. When a when a citizens of a country bring it to ruin and destruction, in other words, make it bare, there of the devil. That's what it's saying. Have a look at who occupies those places in the world today. Who is it, folks? The Islamic movement. That's what they've done to the country. And... The, and who made the world, the talking of the devil, a wild, like a wilderness and destroyed its cities, who's, who opened not the house of the prisoners, kept them locked up in sin. We have a glorious future. This is what we're used to, but one day, no more. There are some no more things that we, we look at in these verses. No more old creation. Second <laughs> Peter 3.10 But the day of the Lord will come in the thief, as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat and the earth also and the works therein shall be burnt up. Also in Peter, it, Peter talked about there that people that deny the Lord's coming and where is the promise of his coming? Everything's continued as it was are not aware of what the scripture says that exactly as Peter said in that verse we just read, it will be burnt up with fire. Last time by a flood, the next time by a fire. And that's the, the uses where total destruction, worldwide things happen. And that's what has been promised in scripture. There's the obstacle of the sea. Oceans are probably a, a product of the flood. Maybe the land was all joined together prior to that. Uh, I've said ask the question how come we've got koalas and kangaroos in Australia that aren't in the rest of the world it was a global flood wasn't it everything got destroyed that's what the bible says how did the koala walk from where the ark landed in Turkey to Australia without Happened across the seas. You know, all these questions come. Ask these questions of Mr. Mackay if you're here on. <laughs> he likes answering those questions. <laughs> but you see the reality. Why did the kangaroos all just hop in, hop all the way down here? Uh, what did, where did they hop across? <laughs> uh, did they swim? Did they get on uh, a floating uh, piece of debris that was floating around still? Uh, they got pretty hungry by the time across, come across the sea, some of them are pretty wide, were the seas there just after the flood? Have the continents separated? You know, the earthquakes just in the last two weeks over there in Indonesia, that's raised the land by this much. The whole country has been lifted this much. I just read it yesterday. But uh, you see, things are still moving, and we're a long way removed from the flood. Uh, 4,000 years removed from there. Anyway... <laughs> This old creation, the obstacle of the sea, uh, not a problem with Christians, but in the future there will be no sea. The sea is a picture of the restless nations. They cannot find rest. In Isaiah 57, verse 20 and 21, But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. 
There is no peace, saith the Lord, to the wicked. You see, this is a picture of that. That will be gone according to this reference here. I saw heaven, new earth, new earth. New our heaven, first heaven, first earth, passed away, and there was no more sea. <clears throat> no more sea. Don't worry. If you've missed out on getting to the beach, as we took some people, some teenagers, some time back to the beach, to the sea, they'd never been from Albury to the sea. Oh, you know, they're in their 20s, not teenagers. I thought, uh, well, you need to see it. If you don't see it in this life, there is sea still for a thousand years, so don't worry. Because it says the fishermen will fish in the sea, at least the Dead Sea, that's promised to be there. It's said it will be there. Um, <clears throat> moving on to the new city, from the new creation that will be to the new city. This city is a holy city. I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. Um, <clears throat> this is a contrast of the old and the new. If you've been to the old city of Jerusalem over there in Israel, um, Cobbled streets, everything's rock. That's why it's still existing. If uh, we built the Australian homes over there, they'd all be gone by now. In 2,000 years, they just wouldn't last. They, they crumble. Uh, but there, they're built by those big rocks, massive. Some of the things are massive rocks. The walls are huge, uh, made of huge rocks. And that is an interesting city to visit. This is where it all happened. This is where God focused his attention. This is where the Bible was written from, this, this place, the Jerusalem. And it is great to visit, it's good to see, it's good to have memories. But that city is not going to last for eternity. That's the earthly city. Yes, it does need cleaning, dressing up and, and fixing up. And if you, if you go there, go under the city that's presently and go to the old city underneath and, uh, and hope an earthquake doesn't happen while you're under there. <laughs> And they've got massive big columns with huge ceilings and it's all been dug out with, like where the priest quarters are down near the, the uh, Temple Mount just west of it, down southwest of it, down underneath. And you see where, the ba where they bathed, where they did this, where they cooked and, and prepared to go up onto the Temple Mount and how they got there. Um, all these things are interesting in the old city, but there's a new city coming, a holy city. And what a contrast it will be. <laughs> new, heavenly, fresh, anticipated, look forward to. If you go over to chapter 21, and, oh, well, in 21, verse 15, and he, he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city, this new city, and the gates of it, this eternal city. And its wall. And the city lieth four square. It's the same measurement, the four ways. The length is as large as the breadth, and measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. The length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. That way, that way, and that way. The depth, we could say the height and the width, are equal. <clears throat> How big is this city? Well, according to those measurements you've got there, it works out to be about 2,160 kilometres, four square. That's from here to where? If you go 2,000 kilometres toward Queensland, where do you get to? Coffs Harbour, about 1,200, isn't it, Larry? About to, then you keep going and... Uh, don't all talk at once. <laughs> Sorry? Past Brisbane, yeah. So you keep going past Brisbane, Maroochydore, Vunder. Okay, we're getting up a long way. That big. 
that big. <laughs> now, I, I should have said, how, big, how far is it through the world? Is it 7,000 kilometres through the world? But they have said, because of what it's made of, it would be heavier than the present Earth. So you're talking big. You're talking beautiful. <laughs> you're talking something that's beyond our imagination, trying to, trying to think about it. <laughs> But we, we can meditate on these things and think this is what God has done for those that love him. As we look at this new city, it's a pure city, it's holy. There will be nothing in it at all that defiles. Therefore, there will be no dust. <laughs> nothing that upsets or dirty, nothing, no sin, no Satan. A, a presented city, as it reads in verse 2, it's from God. From God presented to those that love him. Ephesians 3.20 tells us unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. For us he has done this, he's planning to bring it forward from God. Prepared for them that love him. And uh, that's emphasized. Do you love God? Troy was talking about in Deuteronomy chapter 6 this morning which comes in the evening service to this evening from Matthew that the question Jesus was put put to them, I won't preach it and I'll preach it tonight, but you know, what is the greatest commandment? Love God. And love your fellow man is just like unto it. That sums up the law of the prophets, Jesus said. We need to love him because he first loved us. And we love him with a love that's everlasting, that's agape love. And because of that, we will do things we wouldn't ordinarily do. We couldn't do in our human strength because it's a sacrificial love for him. He's going to, he's going to give us this, present, present this city to us. And it's a prepared city. Well, you can't, we can't go past here without turning back to John's Gospel, chapter 14. John's Gospel, chapter 14, <clears throat> verses 1 to 3. Some of you might have it memorized. <laughs> Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me, said the Lord Jesus. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, what did he say he will do? I will come again. my Butler. <laughs> Those words he, he said, Sir, I will, in his American accent. Can anyone do that? <laughs> in American accent, like he did. <laughs> I will come again. And he emphasised, and he loved to preach that. He was a big picture man, wasn't he? And receive you, said the Lord Jesus, unto myself that where I am, there ye may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Do you know the way? I hope by the end of the service you know the way to the celestial city. <laughs> so there's a new city, a pure city, a presented city, and a prepared city. Prepared as a, a, a bride for the bridegroom, as we read in the rest of chapter 21. <clears throat> now, in a wedding, there is preparation. You ask any bride. Don't ask the groom. <laughs> Andrew said last week he said I just turn up <laughs> but the bride and the family have to do a lot of the work <laughs> and others too in, in a wedding like last week but 
in this wedding, it's the bridegroom that's doing all the preparation. He's gone to prepare us a city. Hey, I know the Lord didn't have to learn to build, but what did he do down here when he was here? He was a carpenter. Isn't that interesting? I think you would tie that a bit together. He knows something about building. He knows how to do it right, to make it just like the customer needs. And he's preparing it for his bride. And he's doing a special job on that for you and me who are the bride of Christ. What a blessing. Okay, we go to the third thought in Revelation 21 and verse 3. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. A new communion. Blessed by the very presence of God. You know what it's like to be in somebody's presence or to have fellowship, and that's why God, he made us creatures to fellowship, to be in communion with one another. Church is for that reason. You can't get out there isolated. You get weird ideas and you don't knock them, balance them or hit them off other people. Bounce them off other people is what we say. We, we need that communion together and God has made us that way and he wants to commune with us. He has always wanted to commune with us. It's not he that's broken the fellowship. It's us. And if we break fellowship as Christians with God, it's us that have sinned, not God. Recognize that. If you've got a problem with having contact with the Lord, it's us that have done it. It's me that's done it, not God. We've broken the fellowship. And here he wants to have that fellowship. He wants to be present with his people. And as we read these verses, it should make us homesick for heaven. You know, there's an Old Testament man that was homesick for heaven, wasn't there? His name started with E. Enoch. He walked with God. And God said, oh, just come home. <laughs> no sense staying down there. You, you, you're not interested in that earth. Just come home to heaven. And he was not, for God took him. He raptured him to heaven. And folks, we should get homesick for heaven because of the person that we're going to be with. The Lord desires to be with us. We ought to desire to be with him. The one loved by you is the one you want to be with. Isn't that right? Isn't that so? You ask any... Uh, engaged couple <laughs> that's what they want who they want to be with God wants to be with us we ought to be homesick for heaven Philippians 3 verse 7 Paul said this but what things were gained to me those I counted lost for Christ yea I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but dung <laughs> that I might win Christ nothing compares with a relationship with God of heaven. Do we want that? Do we desire that? We're not only blessed by the presence of God, we're blessed by the absence of grief in verse 4. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes and there, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, nor ne neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. No sadness, wiped away, gone, huh. obliterated, erased, blotted out. Um, <clears throat> wiped away. Psalm 30 verse 5 reads, Weeping may endure for a night, but what comes in the morning? Joy comes in the morning. And I do remember saying that to mum, the last thing I said. And, you know, being with Trinal reminds me of being with mum, just those last hours. 
you know, <clears throat> and uh, whether she could hear or not, and whether Tridal can hear or not, we don't know at those times. But um, <clears throat> I said, I'll meet you in the morning. Meet you in the morning. See you in the morning. Because the morning of resurrection will come. Amen. It's going to happen. <laughs> and we will be there if we're saved. And so this life is not all there is. We might suffer grief, but joy comes in the morning. Um, Jesus wept in John 11, 35. Why did he weep? He wept at the tomb of Lazarus, who had died, a close friend, a confidant, one in whose, whose house the Lord Jesus had resided many times. He may have wept at that, but he may have wept at all the knowledge of the death, deaths of all the people that had died and would die in the future, the pain and suffering and sorrow of death. David said in Psalm 6, 6, I am weary with my groanings. All night I make my bed to swim. I water my couch with tears. For thou hast delivered my soul, in Psalm 116, verse 8, delivered my soul from death, mine eyes from tears, and my feet from falling. There'll be no more tears in heaven. Blessed by the absence of grief, no tears in heaven. Chapter 7 and verse 16 relates to this in Revelation 7 and verse 16 and 17, if you'd care to read that later. There's no separation. And no more separation by, by death. <clears throat> I think we've all been to funerals. And if we haven't, we may be in the future. But there is separation, isn't there? First time I got to know about that was when Grandpa died. And he died about my age, actually, from Parkinson's disease. They didn't have the medications in those days. And he, he went, and we couldn't really relate to him because he, he wasn't thinking right at that stage. But then Grandma died. But I remember her because we got pretty close to her. We were up there often helping Grandma out. And Grandma would make a wonderful ice cream. Or ice and a bit of cream in there, I think. <laughs> but we enjoyed it because it was hot days. <laughs> but Grandma died in my mum's arms, literally. In mum's arms. Sugar diabetes. Didn't have the treatments back then. They do now for a lot of things. And she went to heaven, and that's really the recollection. I remember the whole, everybody come, it, was all, it happened at the farm where we lived. And so that they had the funeral there and, and things that went on and, and put in the, in the ground. And the little kids said, well, what are they doing? You know, what are they doing with Grandma? They're putting her in the ground. Why? Hey, folks, when that happens, I, I don't think you should say, I'm going to protect my children by not taking them to a funeral. I don't think so. We're too protected from reality in, in, our, in our culture here. We need to let them face reality and see death happens. And then you have a great opportunity to explain to them what, what it's all about, what life is about, and death is about, and eternity is about. Hey, we can talk about the blessedness of the absence of grief, no sadness, no separation. Ah, joy comes in the morning. One day we'll see these people, and we won't see them as old people. They will be... New, they'll have a new body, they'll be immortal, and we'll recognize them. You know, even mortals recognize the immortals. Remember Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration? And Peter didn't have to be told who it was, it was Moses there. He knew. And we'll know these people when we see them. 
no separation, no sorrow, no mourning, no more broken hearts in verse 4, the, the third part of that, no more sorrow. And sorrow can come in many forms or because of many things. And I wrote down Psalm 42, you could write that next to it and just read there the psalmist mourning and, and other psalms, Psalm 88, different psalms, Re- read them about the the. <laughs> The psalmist's sorrow and pain from living in this world as we're at En Gedi near the Dead Sea, the top of the Dead Sea, west of it, where David hid with his 600, I was going to say crazy men, 600 men that were just the, 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 the off-scourging, ones that had run away. And he was running from Saul. And the, the wall, the, the, the cliff, the cliff face, and there's little like pigeonholes everywhere. And I thought, that's where David lived. And he led his men down to get water from the, the nice little brook that runs down there. And it was the end of summer and it was still running strong when we were there. And then go back up and, and hide in the caves there. <clears throat> and the sorrow, you know, he, night after night he had to live in this condition. He was to be the king. God had told him he was going to be the king. And here he was living in a cave. He had to wait for the promise to come. And he wouldn't kill God's anointed Saul, would he? He had opportunity to do but didn't. But sorrow, the sorrow of life. What are, you, what are you sorrowing over now? What is it that's eating you up? What is it that's keeping you awake at night? The sorrow. All gone. No suffering either, as we read there. No, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. No more suffering. For the former things are what? Passed away. And you can add Satan, sea, self-sacrifice, sun, stars, scary nights, and no more sin and no more curse. But we haven't got time. A new constitution, verse 5, is given here. I make, it is done. Are words that are used here. Verse 5, and he, he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, these are the words, these words are true and faithful. God signed off on this. He put his signature at the bottom of this promise and I signed this and said, I make all things new. He will keep his promises. How many promises? All of the promises of God that haven't been fulfilled will be fulfilled in their due time. And he said in verse 6, he said unto me, it is done. It is done. And so a splendid place I make, it is done. A satisfying place. The last part of verse 6. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him, that is the thirst, of the fountain of water of life freely. It's a satisfying place, isn't it? (laughs) Satisfying resources. Thirst will be quenched. No more thirsty people anymore. And it's speaking in a spiritual sense as well, the thirst that he can quench. Where or who did the Lord promise this to in the Gospels? Remember that? Thirsty lady. Woman at the well. The Samaritan woman. John chapter 4. Read the story. How that the Lord said that he is the living water. Thirsty souls can be satisfied. And thirsty souls will be satisfied. (laughs) I'll give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of water of life freely. It talks about those that were martyred in the tribulation. They, the, the pain and the heat and the suffering and the lack of water and the lack of bread, they will be, their needs will be, were met, or we've already will be met, but we've read about them and talked about them already. 
Um, now turn to turn to Psalm 78 and verse 20. Psalm 78 and verse 20. This is talking about the children of Israel in the wilderness, and one of their one of their big gripes twice actually, or was it three times maybe? The bitter water, then they run out of water, and then they run out of water later on in their journeyings in the wilderness. <clears throat> And in verse 15, it reads, He clave the rock in the wilderness and gave them drink out of the great depths. He brought streams also out of the rock and caused waters to run down like rivers. Like rivers. It's not a little tap. It's a river of water. And down in verse 20, Behold, he smote the rock that the waters, what? Gushed out. <laughs> and streams overflowed. What is it talking about? It's talking about an abundance here, not just a little bit. You don't come to the Lord to the Lord, and as the man in hell asks for a, a drop of water on his tongue, you ask for a river of water. God does it properly and abundantly. And folks, what is that all talking about? It's talking about the water that come, the living water from the death of the Lord Jesus on the cross. Drink my blood, he said. And they, are, they are, were disgusted with that thought. But it was in the sense, drink what I am providing for you. At Calvary, the waters gushed out. <laughs> Overflowing river of the blood of the Lord Jesus. It's enough for every sinner in all the world of all time to be saved from. Not just a few selected, it's all sinners. It tells us in scripture that. It is a gushing river, overflowing stream. It's the bread of life and he is the water of life. We haven't got time to turn to all those. It's satisfying resources. It's satisfying rewards as well. Back in Revelation 21 and verse 7. He that overcometh, he that overcometh shall inherit all things. Romans 8.17 And if children then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. Satisfying rewards. Joint heirs with the Son of God. With the eternal Son of God. Are you an overcomer? Or are you being overcome? We shall inherit all things. All things. Mrs. Reinhardt? <laughs> Be ready to give it up. <laughs> Not being rude to you, but... <laughs> She owns more than anyone in Australia and probably the richest lady in the world, I don't know. But hey, you can have everything, but it all will disappear on the day of death. But for the saint, he's going to be heir of all things. Jesus owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the wealth in every mine, riches untold. He's my father, so they're mine as well. <laughs> I mean... Just think about it. If you're going to be an inheritor of something, it's good to have a rich parent, isn't it? So that you get something. But if you have poor parents, you get little. That's the way it, that's the way it falls, isn't it? But we are all children of the Heavenly Father. We're children of the Lord. And we is he rich? What does he not own? Tell me. He owns everything. Uh, <clears throat> a satisfying reward. 
I pray that we can look forward to that and we can think about it and meditate upon it when we're disappointed. A, a satisfying relationship. He gave us his son and we are his children. It tells us in the last part of verse 7, and I will be his God and he shall be my son. For God so loved the world that he gave us his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. There it is. That's how to become a son of God. Believe on him. Luke tells us in Luke 11.3 If ye then being evil know how to good, give good gifts to your children how much more shall your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him. And it's also a not only a splendid place, a satisfying place in resources, rewards and relationship, but also a safe place. All those who are outside are banished from heaven. It is this type of people who have ruined our present world that are banished from heaven in verse 8. But they will not ruin heaven for us in that time because they will not be allowed in it. The sadness for the unbelieving per person they all shall be, uh, have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. A, a sermon that I read about this by one, and he entitled it, You Might Trouble Me Here, But You Can't Follow Me Home. I almost thought that would be a good one. <laughs> you might trouble me here, but you can't follow me home. And he talked about sorrow. You trouble me here, but you can't follow me home. Because you're not going there. Another one he got out of this was from verse 8. He's not mentioned there, but Satan. You might trouble me here, old devil, but you can't follow me home. You have your part in the lake of fire, and that's all you deserve if you're listening this morning. Sin. You might trouble me here, Romans chapter 7, but you can't follow me home. Isn't that true? No more sin. And sinner, you might trouble me here, but you can't follow me home. You can't get to me. God has promised that only those who are saved will be there. Are you saved this morning? Sinner. You desperately need to come to the Lord Jesus. And I know folks are listening. And the web. If you're a sinner, you're not saved. You need to be saved. You need to trust the Lord Jesus. Recognize you're a sinner. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And understand there are tragic and terrible consequences to rejecting the message of the Lord Jesus. The wages of sin is death, and it's not just physical, it's eternal death. Realize that. Realize that God loves you, where it reads in Romans 5, 8, but God commends his love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Yes, you're lost. There's terrible consequences if you die in your sin, but God loves you and commends his love toward you. Be willing to come before the Lord and confess him, as Romans 10.9 tells us, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. This is the only plan of God. There is none other. Neither is there salvation in any other, 
There's no other name but the name of Jesus by which we are saved. Won't you come to the Lord today and be saved and be prepared as a son of God to go into the celestial city that's spoken about in these verses this morning. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord, for the word. Thank you for the promises of God. Lord, yes, when we part on in this life, it causes pain and sorrow. We sorrow not as others who have no hope, but we do sorrow. And our heart goes out to those who have lost loved ones, who've parted, separated by death. But Lord, for those of us who have those who have parted, who are saved, who have gone to heaven, who are absent from the body and present with the Lord, we rejoice with them and expect one day and know one day we will be with them. We will see him as he is and we shall know him. Lord, bless us as we think about these thoughts and may we truly go on our way rejoicing today because of the promises of God. There's a new world coming, a wonderful world that's promised to the believers. We ask and pray your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.